Almost everything about Doctor Who changed last series. The first woman doctor, a new showrunner, a newly crowded TARDIS. And something that could be subtly in the background or might seize your attention with one hell of a bass drop. Shannon Dohar from the Deeper Cuts and Reality Bomb podcasts joins us to review the music of new composer Sagan Akinola and the new Series 11 soundtrack. It's Sagan's Genesis on This Week in Time Travel. I suppose I should feel sorry that I made you uh, deliver the title pun. I mean, come on, man. Take responsibility for your own puns. In my defense, I bold-faced what I meant to leave unbold-faced and whatever, but uh, you, you delivered it perfectly. Thank you. You're very welcome. Hello and welcome to episode 84 of This Week in Time Travel. We've got a few bits of news and then we will be digging into Sagan Akinola's Series 11 soundtrack now that Silver Screen has released it and everybody's been able to hear it without any of that pesky, you know, dialogue or action. You know, the plot bits. couple of Brief news bits before we get to that. Uh, The last two Doctor Who episodes to be novelized. Believe it or not, there have been a handful of episodes that have never been novelized. The target line got almost everything. Then writers like James Goss and Gareth Roberts came in to fill in some of the blanks, adapting some of Douglas Adams' work. And now there are only two episodes that have yet to be novelized, and they're about to be, by writer and script editor Eric Sayward. Yep, we are going to get Resurrection of the Daleks and Revelation of the Daleks. No surprise that Dalek stories are a little late to arrive to the world. But that screaming that you possibly might be hearing in the distance is Kyle and Eric from the Writer's Room podcast. Because, you know, they have feelings. They do have feelings. Uh, They wound up their Doctor Who segment of the Writer's Room podcast before moving on to the Outer Limits. And the last writer that they sort of zeroed in on was uh, sort of taking stock again of Eric Sayward after they did him back at the very beginning of the podcast. And those were not their favorite episodes of Doctor Who, kind of by a long shot. Alyssa, what do you remember about uh, Resurrection of the Daleks and Revelation of the Daleks, besides the fact that they were just hideously overlit? That wasn't his fault. I vaguely remember Resurrection of the Daleks, and I unfortunately remember more of Revelation of the Daleks than I would like to. I'm still working on deleting that out of my memory. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to be mean, but these are not my favorite stories, and I will probably not be buying these books. Please do not kick me out of the fandom. No, no, no. They're a little on the violent and um, just just not, not entirely Doctor Who-ish for me, and it's just kind of... Ironic that they are the last uh, episodes to be novelized. But for those of you who are completionists out there, there you are. We had some guest announcements from Gallifrey One last week that came out just after we recorded, and they're ever so slightly substantial. Yeah, so we are going to get... Catherine Tate and John Barrowman. Oh, I cannot wait. I really, 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 really love Catherine Tate and just about everything that she's ever done. She's a delightful human being. And so maybe I need to find space for my Donna cosplay in my suitcase, which is going to be difficult because I already have a lot. But hey, Catherine Tate. Yay. I'm sorry I'm not being enthusiastic about John Barrowman. I've already been to a galley where John Barrowman has been there. So like been there, done that, had my photo. Catherine Tate, guys. 
I'm super excited about that as well. Also, Yasmin Bannerman, who played Jabe all the way back in season one of Doctor Who. She was also in Torchwood. She's done a lot of British television and is doing a fair bit of big finish right now. Other recent announcements include comics writer Rob Williams and something that is near and dear to my heart because of my other podcast that I was doing for a while with my spouse and with Erica Ensign from Verity. Babylon 5 cast members Mira Ferlin, Claudia Christian, and Patricia Tallman. These three women were very important to the cast of Babylon 5, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary right now. So they get a special panel at Gallifrey One as well. So enjoy your special panel, Chip. I will enjoy my special panel. I may even bring my special Babylon 5 cosplay to a Doctor Who con again. (laughs) And those are our little bits of news because, you know, they're very quietly making a new series of Doctor Who and not telling us about it. So let's check in and see what's happening on the Incomparable Network this week. And then we'll come back with Shannon Dohar. This week on The Incomparable Network. It's the other science fiction western series with a crew full of hidden backstories, humor, and danger. Revisit the classic anime series Cowboy Bebop on The Incomparable. Star Trek Discovery is back for a new season, and its first episode is reviewed on TV number 520. And Inconceivable, a game of nerdery and nonsense, trivia and tribulations, finally returns to the game show podcast on episode 103. All this and more at theincomparable.com. Well, like we said at the top, we are joined by Shannon Dohar from the Deeper Cuts and Reality Bomb podcast. Hi, Shannon. Hello, Alyssa and Chip. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you with us. It is my recollection that there was great trepidation coming from your neck of the woods, Shannon, when the Mm -hmm. news came out that Murray Gold would not be returning to Doctor Who. Yeah, trepidation is is actually the the word that I wrote down as I was considering this, this discussion. Um, I really I took this one hard. I'm I'm a big music nerd, and I really loved Murray Gold's scoring. Um, I know it wasn't for everybody, and I respect that, but it was very much for me. So I was very anxious to see him go. Well, this is about Sagan Akinola, not Murray Gold, but let's put it into context because. I can't think of anybody other than Danny Hargreaves who blew stuff up for the show for 10 series. I can't think of anybody who has been a more consistent part of today's Doctor Who than Murray Gold. Yeah, and his, I mean, his footprint, especially when, you know, I think about his villain themes have, were just so intrinsic to me about when I would think about modern Who that it, it yeah, it was a, it was a hard, it was a hard blow. <laughs> Being the music nerd that you are, I'm guessing that you probably went to go and listen to some of Sagan Akinola's previous work before he even started on Doctor Who as soon as the announcement was made. Did you do that? And how'd you feel about the kind of music he was making? Yeah, absolutely. I ran, I did not walk. I mean, I, like, I wanted to know about this guy and he had, he has done, he had done some stuff before Doctor Who, not a ton, but some. The piece that I really fell in love with and that I thought really showed a lot of, of what he could do is this, this little like YouTube movie called Dear Mr. Shakespeare. Uh, that was, that was done, um, I think by like some 
artistic venture in the UK and it was an exploration of Othello and I just felt like his scoring of that piece was so graceful and subtle and interesting and it had such a good texture to it that it made me it settled my nerves um and there was some other of his pieces that felt very like you could run down a corridor to this and that's (laughs) that's a prerequisite for scoring doctor who so like maybe maybe it'll be okay music to run down corridors too that's not exactly something that I would have characterized a whole lot of classic Doctor Who's music to. There were different styles over the many years. There was electronic ambient stuff. There was uh, stock orchestral stuff. There was weirdness from the radiophonic workshop. It was all over that place. For 10 seasons, Murray Gold gave us a lot of John Williams stuff with some humor and some electric guitar stuff on the side and things like that. But with a couple of exceptions, I didn't think that his music was atmospheric so much as just big soundtrack stuff. And Sagan Akinola stuff is really different, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it has. I use the word texture to talk about Dear Mr. Shakespeare. And I think that like, that's a really key word when we're thinking about Sagan's score. And especially as once the once the score dropped, and we were able to hear it kind of separate from the episodes. Because truth be told, like, it took me some time to warm to his stuff. And that was the one piece that like, I love Jody right from the get go. I loved a woman who fell to earth. But I was kind of like sitting in the back of the room raising an eyebrow to the score. And it felt, it just took me some time. It took me some time to warm up to it. <laughs> but that kind of like deeper texture and that you can feel the levels of his stuff almost more so when you listen to it separately from the episode and when you can really like sink into it and not be distracted by what else is happening. Like it, it feels like a very different animal when you listen to the score on its own, which I think is really interesting. I will also toss in here, too, that I think Sagan has been kind of poorly treated by whoever sound mixes for BBC America, oh, God, yes. as was Murray Gold. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I always have to listen to the soundtracks separately from the show because I don't know what they're doing with the sound mixing there, but it is like awful. You cannot get out most of the music because it's just blasting very, very weirdly. Um, I, as you can tell, totally inarticulate when it comes to music theory. So like, I don't know what it is, but there's always like one element that is completely blasted out beyond any recognition and you can't hear any of the dialogue either. And it's very weird and bad. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, like who needs proper musical terms? Because like at the end of the day, especially media scoring is all about emotions. So, you know, throw throw my my music education out the window. <laughs> and it's really just like about how it makes you feel. And so much of that is about scoring properly to dialogue. <laughs> like not drowning people out, perhaps. Right. I, so yeah. Your reactions are both very interesting to me because I'm not sure that I have the same feeling about how the mix is treated Akinola's work as Gold's work. I felt like Gold's work was always omnipresent, and I, I felt like Akinola's music is more in the background and isn't quite as distracting from the main thrust of things. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just think that because of 
they're playing into the weakness of both composers in my mind. So they were overscoring Murray Gold, who already leans towards, I mean, you, you were mentioning John Williams. I would also throw in Shore, who did the score for Lord of the Rings. Um, that like very epic musicality. If you overscore that, it starts to feel very tacky. And similarly, I think that Sagan stuff is so subtle and so, has so much going on under the surface that I actually, I want them to bring it up often. Like, I think that they're, I think that they're downplaying his score in a lot of ways with a couple of notable exceptions. And I want them to, to lean into it a little bit more. So I think the sound mixing over pushed Murray Gold and is under pushing Sagan Akinola personally. <laughs> Which is kind of in line with some of the criticisms of Series 11 in general, that some people felt that it was a little too soft, not quite focused enough, not speaking strongly enough. And I guess you could say that the sound mix is doing the same thing for his music. So how's that music feel and sound to you now that it's been released by Silver Screen Records and you can actually listen to the thing without having things like dialogue and explosions in the way? I personally like 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 I was saying I like it a lot more on its own. Um and I I am kind of full disclosure one of those people who had some problems with series 11 and I found that a really key part of my appreciation for Sagan Akinola's work kind of growing was when I was able to think about like okay what would Murray Gold have done with this stuff? There would have been nothing really for him to, I mean, he, he was used to these very bombastic moments that we've really pulled away from. Um, and some people would say that that's a benefit and some people would say it's a detriment, but like it's a very clearly dis, it's a distinct difference in how we're doing Doctor Who. And I think that Murray Gold's work would not have suited this. And I also think that Sagan's work would not have suited that. So like, I, I appreciate the distinction. And I do think that once I had that kind of light bulb moment, I felt a lot better about his score in general. And his work, again, like on its own, I find to be very beautiful and very interesting. And when I'm able to just be like swept off into his into his musical language, I think that it's it's really spectacular and really something special. What were some of your highlights? What were some of those moments during the show when you're watching it and you're noticing his music? What were some of the highlights for you through the year? Oh, a t big turning point for me was Rosa Parks' theme, which is, uh, I think the formal track title is called Parks, Rosa Parks, um, which I love <laughs> also. Uh, I think that that, like, that horns theme was so stunning and so evocative um that that really that really got me in in the in the feels as they say um and i felt similarly about the score for uh demons of the punjab i know that that end credits again has some yays and nays personally i loved it i felt like it was a real moment in doctor who's musical history to say like this theme belongs to everyone and you can interpret it in any of these different ways and that that was that was really really something special for me Alyssa do you have some favorite musical moments of the year so far I was actually just sort of re-listening to the release on Spotify just to try to pull out what some of my favorite ones are I think Sonic Screwdriver mm -hmm. um, is mm -hmm. one of my favorites as is my beautiful ghost monument that um, one's great that's yes. so beautiful and the th I like, you know, Sonic Screwdriver is like, 
I want to make my own workout track to that because like I could run and do whatever to that just endlessly. It is so energetic and interesting and fun. Um, but my beautiful ghost monument is just sort of like that to me sticks in my head more as the doctor's theme than the doctor's theme does. Well, and it does that perfect thing that Murray Gold would do so often where he's kind of like, he's leading the theme in. Yes. Right. And it's like, there is a piece of 13's theme in my beautiful ghost monument or my ghost monument rather, Mm -hmm. um, that like feels so cohesive and so of a piece. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just, it's great to listen down through them because it's just very enjoyable, even on its own, not, not even in relation to you knowing that this is from Doctor Who and you're, you know, reliving episode moments or things like that. Um, it is just it is just kind of great to listen to as its own thing. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting about this past season was Sagan doing some work to bring in other styles of music as well. I was looking through trying to see what was most popular with fans who've been listening to the track on Spotify. And the end credits scene, it's called Yaz and Nanny's end credits scene, where they're really leaning into Indian and Pakistani styles of music, is number eight on the top 10 from the album, which I I think is is really fascinating that that resonated so much with so many people. I'd like to come back to Sonic Screwdriver and the Doctor's theme, which is very different from what we got from Murray Gold, certainly in the last uh, for the last two Doctors. Now that you've had the chance to hear it without any kind of manipulation by YouTubers trying to isolate that piece of the track. <laughs> What do you think of his theme for the 13th Doctor? I love it. I absolutely love it. It's it's one of my favorite pieces of music from from the series. And I loved how it kind of snuck up on you. Uh, I loved that there were kind of moments where uh, as, you know, fandom was parsing apart the score, everybody kind of hit it at a different moment and realized that like, oh, that's the Doctor's theme. <laughs> Like it just, it it was very subtle, but it also is very distinct, uh, and I think that that's really appropriate to thirteen and to how she carries herself, uh, and I love that. You know, the most important thing for me, for a doctor and their theme song, is that it has a level of synergy to how their character feels, and I think that this this hits thirteen right on the head. It would just. She would just not work with uh, Capaldi's or Smith's. No, certainly not. That wouldn't, it wouldn't suit her at all. And yeah, it, it, no, it would not be good. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've had the album for about a week here, how does listening to this album compare for you all compared to the previous soundtracks? Because I got to a point where I stopped picking up the Murray Gold soundtracks and I love his music as well, but somewhere after series five series six i just sort of like you know I'm, i feel like i'm hearing this stuff this soundtrack is very different and i'm having a different experience listening to it yeah i'm having a very different experience listening to it as well i mean i think that the reasons why i would go out and buy murray gold scores were um because i felt like i wanted like i think about maybe one of his most iconic pieces to me is his doomsday score and i just i needed that theme i needed to have like that piece of music um 
And when I when I revisit it, it's in a very specific mindset, and it is it can never be on in the background. And Sagan's work, I find to be very good to put on if I'm writing or if I'm working. Like it, it really, in the same way that a lot of classical music does, it allows me to be in my brain in a different way. And it doesn't, I don't feel that it's got that same imprint on a score and on an emotional moment that Murray Golds did. So I can almost sit with it more comprehensively because it's not pulling me back into a specific moment of the show. It's letting me live my life, but is also <laughs> beautiful music. Like it's two very different experiences. Um, and one is not better than the other, but I, I do think that it's, it's interesting how distinct those experiences have been, at least for me. Funnily enough, when I was trying to think about this question, the only soundtrack that I kept coming back to is actually the rogue one soundtrack. And I think for me, they're kind of both, similarly situated in that it's two composers taking over after two iconic composers to create music in sort of an established universe. So it wants to fit a overall feel in that universe. You know, Michael, uh, and I'm going to butcher his last name, I'm sorry, Giacchino, is, you know, trying to make this sound like John Williams' Star Wars but also something new and different. And you can see him pulling through bits of the original musical cues in there to try to make it really feel like Star Wars, but it stands out on its own. And just like you were saying, I could, I listened to that soundtrack and, you know, there were some there was obviously like I could, you know, see that moment of the film in my mind. But a lot of the times I was just listening to it. It really, like, it feels immersive. You know, you're listening to it and you're enjoying the quality of the music. And that's sort of kind of the feeling that I'm getting listening to this soundtrack because it's Sagan not just taking over for one composer, but really sort of like a generation that followed beforehand. You know, we are still interpreting the original Doctor Who theme song over 50 years later in new and different ways. And he... It feels like Doctor Who, in a way, there are elements that feel similar, and yet is an entirely standout thing on its own. And there are clearly songs like Sonic Screwdriver, where I absolutely know the scene, and I'm so immersed in it, just listening to the music. And yet, most of the time, if I just have it on in the background, I can just sort of sink into it, you know? And it's just good and interesting and fun to listen to and is not necessarily about, I am rewatching this Doctor Who episode mentally in my mind with just exactly. the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's like, exactly. uh, it's almost like Murray Gold's music is telling you how to feel about a particular moment in the story. And that just leaps out at me whenever I'm listening to his music, even if I don't have the TV on, if I'm just listening to the soundtrack. I think Sagan Akinola's music sort of helps me think for myself, sets a mood maybe, but leaves me a little more space. I would absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, listen, I love music telling me what to think. It's one of my favorite things. Um, so <laughs> I don't, I, I'm, I'm all on board with, with that kind of musical stamp being very, clearly evocative. And I think that it, it says a lot about how intrinsic the score has been to Doctor Who in, in the last decade or so. But I do also, I really love that 
Akinola's score, as we've kind of been saying, really leaves you alone. And it really just, it, it lets you sit in your own thoughts. And we, we, I do want us to touch on, as you were saying, Alyssa, the, we've been reinterpreting the same score, the same intro music for 50 years. His, his Doctor Who theme song is one of my favorite things that he's done, honestly. <laughs> I think, and, and to really take it back to 55 years ago and to Delia Derbyshire's work and to just, I think that it was very important for him in the same way that, you know, the composer for Rogue One needed to put his own stamp on Star Wars while still paying respects to what came before. I think it was very wise for Sagan Agnola to focus back not on paying homage to Murray Gold's work, but to Delia Derbyshire's work <laughs> and to take it, take it all the way back and to use uh, essentially like her own first version of the score for the intro and to build upon that rather than to, to speak directly and in, in dialogue musically with this very iconic composer who's come before him. It's very smart. Definitely would agree hundred percent. We're glad to have him back next year, right? Oh yeah. No, he's not, we're not allowed to let, let this one go for quite some time. No, he's now, got a lot of music in him and I want to hear it. He's our now other shows can go away, please, unless it's, you know, at a time in which they don't need music for Doctor Who. <laughs> exactly. Ours. Shannon, where can people find you talking about more music these days? Oh, well, funnily enough, I have a music podcast. Deeper Cuts is a podcast that I do with a couple of wonderful co-hosts who may or may not be familiar to some of our audience here. And we are coming back for season three on February 19th. So come in and join us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow Deeper Cuts on Twitter at Deeper Cuts Cast. And our website is DeeperCutsPodcast.com. Shannon, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Time Travel as we are getting perilously close to going to Los Angeles with our friends and talking about Doctor Who in presumed sunshine and warmth. It had better be sunshine and warmth because it is going to get below zero tonight and I'm not having any of this nonsense. You can find more nonsense at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're also on Twitter at DRWhoThisWeek. Alyssa tweets and blogs on Tumblr at Feminism. I tweet at numeral two-minute time lord. Shannon Dohar tweets at S. Dohar. That's D-O-H-A-R. This podcast exists in the Facebook time-space continuum. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music and David J. Lore for our original podcast logo and avatar. Please review us on Apple Podcasts, consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network, and, you know, tell all your friends about us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. All right, did you survive? I survived, and now I'm going to turn on the heat again. You know, there were some there was obviously like I could, you know, see that moment of the film in my mind. But a lot of the times I was just listening to it and enjoying it. Hold on. Gin, off the table. Off. <laughs> You've never done that before. Get what perfect table. timing, though. Oh, my God. She has never jumped up on the table before. And now she Because you it. were talking about Star Wars. I know. <laughs> she knew. Bad. She knew. Bad rebel. Bad. <laughs>
Oh, this is totally going in the after credits. <laughs> it, it really deserves I love to. an outtake moment. I really do. <laughs> I, You know what? No one ever tell her because her ego will inflate to awful proportions. <laughs> I had such a, such a good point to follow up with and it's gone. <laughs> I'm going to keep the conversation. So hopefully it'll come back to you in a moment. 